Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, and we are in the midst of a great feast day. Once again, another great feast day in the liturgical calendar, this time of both the east and western lungs of the church, but in particular, the eastern lung of the church. And that, of course, is this week of the exaltation of the Holy Cross. It's where we commemorate the true finding of the cross. And when it was raised up and the pilgrims came to see it, and everyone bowed down and said, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, which is part of a grand ritual that we do in the Eastern churches that surrounds this feast day of the exaltation of the cross. So our greetings to also our brethren, brothers and sisters in the western lung of the church, a Latin rite, because this is also the week of the cross for them as well. It's especially celebrated in the monasteries. And speaking of monasteries, we have one of our good friends with us today on Light of the East. His name is Abbot Nicholas from Holy Resurrection Monastery, currently in Valermo, California. Welcome to Light of the East, Abbot Nicholas. Thank you, Father Tom. It's always a delight to be speaking with you. Glory to Jesus Christ. Now, Abbot Nicholas, I know that the monks are not just a group of men who hide away in monastic cells, away from the world, out of touch with reality, as many people might think. Rather, you as monks, first of all, you're very much engaged in the very heart of reality, which is our relationship with God, our prayer life, you know, meeting God, coming to know him intimately and praying on behalf of the world, on behalf of others. So really, you're, you're on the thick of it. You're on the front lines. You're sort of the, the Delta Force, the Navy SEALs of the church, I like to call, call the monastics. But in addition to that, you also are engaging the world and making a contribution to the world and to the church, especially in the area of evangelization and of ecumenism, you know, unity in the church. And next year, I understand that there's going to be a synod of bishops in Rome, and it's going to be based upon the new evangelization. 
Evan Nicholas, how do you understand the new evangelization? First of all, why is it called the new evangelization? Well, Father Tom, uh, yes, there is a synod next year in October in Rome. The new evangelization, I think, is a concept that was very much in the minds of uh, the fathers of the Second Vatican Council. And uh, there's no doubt when we read the Vatican documents that uh, it was to be a time of great energy, great spreading of the faith. Unfortunately, because of many social uh, changes in society generally, particularly in the Western world and the First World, um, to some degree, I think the notion became hijacked. And uh, instead of the church being extra-ecclesial, going out there and preaching the gospel, converting, uh, it started to be more intra uh, uh, intra-argumentative, intra-debates about the nature of the Church. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, that has uh, unfortunately lost some of the, uh, of, the, of the steam, the energy that was uh, necessary to launch this new evangelization. So finally, uh, unfortunately after 40, 50 years after the Second Vatican Council, finally uh, I think uh, the Holy See is beginning to put together all the resources to re-evangelize the world, uh, to evangelize non-Christian cultures, and that, of course, even before Vatican II, was a high priority and was done very well by the Catholic Church and by Western Protestant churches as well. But after Vatican II, and particularly 50 years after now, I think there is the need to re-evangelize Europe, um, which, although has had the faith for 2,000 years, in the past five, six hundred years has been, uh, has had the majority of Christians. Now uh, the faith in Europe is waning, and we need to come back and re-evangelize Europe. Yes, and also, in a sense, our own culture, right, North America, which is growing more and more secularized. Exactly. When I say Europe, I mean European culture, which it would certainly includes uh, North America, the United States, and I think Canada and, and Australia, other parts of the New World as well, which are ba- basically certainly white European cultures. Now, what, Abba Nicholas, yes. what can the Eastern churches contribute to this? Well, you know, uh, the Eastern churches have a great role to play in this new evangelization, and I will tell you why. People forget that up to the 13th century, that's 1,300 years of the tradition of the Church, just before the fall of Constantinople, the majority of Christians living in the world were not European. Hmm. Only a third of Christians lived in Europe, a third lived in Asia, and a third lived in Africa. We sometimes forget that. And it is true that after the 13th century, the majority of Christians began to live in Europe, and Christianity was seen more and more as a European religion or a European faith. But, in fact, it wasn't like that for most of the history of the Church. And I think that's significant because uh, when we read statistics in current trends within 20 or 30 years, the majority of Christians, once again, as in the past, will not be living in Europe, but will be living in Latin America, Africa, and Asia, which is what it was like for the first millennium anyway. Abbot Nicholas, is that because of people moving away from Europe, or just the 
uh, the loss of faith in Europe and the rise of it in other areas? I think the biggest factor is that the uh, birth rate of Western Europe and Eastern Europe, in fact, unfortunately, is uh, very, very low. Mm -hmm. uh, it's in the countries where the birth rate is uh, great, Latin America, Africa, and Asia, and where the church is growing in leaps and bounds. Now, there is a there is a decrease in faith in Europe as well because it's becoming more secular and a lot of people are leaving the church for, sec uh, for, for a more secular outlook on life. But a lot of it has to do with just the sheer growth or lack of growth of the population. Now, you mentioned that in the early centuries of the church, for, for a long time actually, for many centuries, uh, much of the Christian population lived outside what we know as the Roman Empire. In other words, not all of the Christian peoples, not all of Christianity, was influenced by the Constantinopolitan Christianity. In other words, the Christianity from the Byzantine Empire. Yes, Father Tom, you know it's very popular to speak about the eastern lung of the church and the western lung of the church, and I think that's very, very important for the new evangelization. But um, we sometimes forget that the eastern lung of the church really has two components. And these do have significance because uh, Catholic identity in this new evangelization is a, a very central theme. Mm -hmm. And to do with that also, of course, um, enculturation. What does enculturation mean? How do we apply to preach and evangelize the Christian faith in Africa, in, in places that are non-Christian but highly religious cultures? How do we do it in Western Europe that is Christian but now very, very secular culture? All these uh, ideas of what it means to be a Catholic. Archbishop Fisichella, who is in fact in charge of organizing this synod for the new evangelization and the Vatican Department, recently set up that is in charge of this new evangelization, speaks of the importance of Catholic identity for this evangelization to be effective. And, and, and I think that was a problem that happened after Vatican II. Vatican II realized that the Catholic identity would have to be broader, richer, in order for a new evangelization to take place. But we have to ask ourselves, what is this Catholic identity? What does it mean to be a Catholic? What does it mean to be a Christian? And unfortunately, after Vatican II, I think there were two schools of thought. One was uh, what Pope Benedict calls uh, interpreting the Council according to the hermeneutic of continuity. Mm -hmm. And he believes, and I think he's correct, of course, this is the authentic interpretation of what the Catholic identity needs to be in the new evangelization. But there was another one that in some ways the secular world, particularly the secular media, promoted uh, more a hermeneutic of discontinuity, that what occurred was in many ways radically different than what had gone before Vatican II. And I think this has been um, understandable when you're looking for a richer new identity, but it has been, I think, uh, misleading. The new identity in the new evangelization needs to be according to the hermeneutic of continuity. But from the beginning of the church, not just since the 16th century, not just since the uh, church has been 
mainly European. Christianity and even Catholicism can't afford to anymore be Eurocentric. Mm-hmm. Now, Eurocentric, I think, can mean two things. After the Middle Ages, it certainly meant Western uh, Christianity, which, as I say, after the 13th century, had the upper hand as it was very influential. And it was these Western Christians that uh, colonized the New World and brought Christianity, either Roman Catholics or Protestants, to the New World. Well, when we return, we will talk more with our special guest and good friend, Abbot Nicholas from Holy Resurrection Monastery. We will talk more about the new evangelization and the role that the Eastern churches have to play in that. Please stay with us. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Glory to Jesus Christ. Father Thomas Loya invites you to a special evening with the choir of the Byzantine Catholic Seminary of Preshaw, Slovakia at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church. On Thursday, October 6th at 7 p.m., the choir will sing a concert of sacred music in Church Slavonic. Hear the music of this great sacred tradition with the choir of the Byzantine Catholic Seminary of Preshov, Slovakia, Thursday, October 6th at 7 p.m. at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, with free will offering. For complete details, click on the events link at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm your host, Father Thomas Lee. We're here with our very, very good friend and esteemed guest, Abbot Nicholas from the Byzantine Monastery of Holy Resurrection, currently in Valerio, California. But we're going to talk a little bit about that, too, later on in the program. But before the break, Father Nicholas, you were saying that the new evangelization is going to have to take into consideration that the Church can no longer be so-called Eurocentric. Correct. Uh, that is very important. Uh, It's important because uh, a lot of the New World, Latin America, uh, Africa, and Asia, in the evangelization that has occurred in the past 100, 200 years, has had rather a colonial uh, history. And colonialism, of course, is now unpopular, and these churches want to break away from some of the negative baggage associated with colonial Christianity. So they want a new identity, an identity that is more enculturated in their culture. Um, 
but there's also another type of uh, Eurocentric Christianity, I think, to do with the Orthodox or the Byzantine tradition. Uh, that didn't play a large role in the missionizing of the New World uh, in the past few hundred years, except to some degree Russia, perhaps. Uh, that's because of the history of the Eastern European Orthodox churches and Catholic churches. But that, too, even whether it's Eastern European or Eastern uh, or Western European, um, I think it's still a Euro-centered uh, church, a Eurocentric church. Uh, what we have to remember is that Constantinian Christianity, and that's very negative for a lot of modern people, particularly in the Protestant tradition, uh, with the Constantine the Great, who made uh, Christianity the state religion of the Roman Empire. What we forget is that a lot of Christians did not accept that, and they either stayed as persecuted minorities within the Roman Empire or went outside the Roman Empire, further east, to places like India and China and Persia. And these churches were, in fact, the majority of Christians as late as the 13th century. We forget that, that for most of its history, the church has been predominantly non-European, not mm. European at all, either Eastern European or Western European. It's been neither. And some of those churches, for the benefit of our listeners, would be churches like the Armenian Apostolic Church, the Coptic Church, Ethiopian Church, the Syrian Church, the Malankara and the Eritrean churches. Now, they all have Orthodox and Eastern Catholic counterparts to them. Am I correct? Yes, and Eritrean and Malabar Church, all mm -hmm. those churches, the Chaldean Church, the Assyrian Church of the East. Now, these churches, certainly in our time, are very small. They're a very small remnant of their glorious heritage. However, as I say, before the 13th century, which is not all that long ago when you consider Christian history, they were the majority churches. And I think it's significant because within a few decades, the majority churches, the biggest churches, the most number of Christians, will live outside Europe and will seek to find their identity independent of a Eurocentric faith. And instead of creating something completely new, which to some degree, of course, they will have to do, they need also, I think, to make references to these traditional apostolic, liturgical, spiritual, canonical, monastic traditions within the church that have existed for hundreds and hundreds of years mm. and have never been associated with Europe. I think that's a very important resource for the newer churches, the new thriving churches of Africa, of Asia, of Latin America, to rediscover this aspect of Christianity, Eastern Christianity, non-European Eastern Christianity, and to some way incorporate it into the new identity that they will form for themselves. Abba Nicholas, how do the Eastern churches evangelize? You know, for the Eastern churches, the, the, the Western church, whether Catholic or Protestant, especially in the colonial period, uh, in the, after the Reformation, the 16th century, certainly it has tended to be rather cerebral. And so word of mouth preaching doctrine was very important. 
In the Eastern tradition, the cerebral, more intellectual aspect is not seen as... It's important, but more important is the much more effective uh, liturgical worship, mm -hmm. monastic life, the more experiential aspect of passing on the faith. And so, uh, symbolically, uh, by example, uh, in living. So it's always been really to set up monasteries to live a full church life that people can uh, rub shoulders with and eventually, hopefully, come into the fold, rather than just word of mouth and just the message. So Eastern monasticism, you're saying, will play a large role, or you foresee it playing a large role, in the new evangelization. Yes, it's, a, it's something that, of course, didn't happen in the West, because, as I say, the West was associated more with preaching, with more intellectual, but in both uh, Oriental Eastern Christianity and uh, Byzantine Eastern Christianity, Russian, Greek, and uh, it's always the monks, the monastics, by establishing monastic life in these mission lands, that the faith is spread and begun. Well, you know, what you're describing to me sounds very exciting. I mean, it sounds like a, it's almost there's a certain mystery to it. In other words, what is this church going to look like in the future? Because <laughs> we know what it has looked like for a long time, as you say, and, and the face of it is going to change, uh, your, is, what, is what you're predicting here. Absolutely. And, and it's going it's to change, and it's going to change, uh, I think, for the better. Um, it, it is true that a lot of us can become depressed because we see that Western Europe is not church in Western Europe is not thriving. Unfortunately, the church in Eastern Europe is not thriving either, because the birth rate, even in Eastern Europe, is not much better than Western Europe. Now, it's certainly thriving as opposed to the communist era, so there mm -hmm. is growth, but it isn't great. When you look at Africa and Asia and Latin America, it is the churches are absolutely booming. And as, I, as you say, it will be new, but I think we have to be careful. I think in the past, after Vatican II, very quickly after Vatican II, some of this enculturation, I think, was very uh, superficially interpreted, as Pope uh, Benedict says, with this hermeneutic of discontinuity, that yes. everything in those cultures that uh, was traditional in those cultures, even though it wasn't Christian, was sought to be brought in. Now, there's a place for that. But I think there's equally a place for established Christianity to also be brought into those cultures, to convert those cultures. And if they have, to some degree, a negative aspect, a negative feeling for historical reasons towards European Christianity, we have to draw from the vast richness of Eastern Christianity, Eastern non-European Christianity, which, as I say again, up to the 13th century, was the majority of Christianity. We have to draw from the riches of that tradition to evangelize and synthesize what the church of the new evangelization will look like, both in Europe, Western Europe and Eastern Europe, and in the New World. I think in the church, Abba Nicholas, it's always a matter of seeing old things, but in new ways. It's not so much a discount, it's a continuity so that you always have, in a sense, old things or things that have always been around, but you sort of revisit them or see them, live them in new ways. Correct. Absolutely, I would say that. But I would say more than that, that modern Christians have not only have also forgotten some of the old things that need to be part of the picture. For example, 
Eastern Christianity, both mm-hmm. European Eastern Christianity and non-European Christianity. Most modern Christians don't even know that that richness, those old things, exist yeah. to be rediscovered in some way and incorporated into the new identity of Christians. Of course, that's part of the purpose of this program, Light of the East, of having people like you on our program. Now, I dropped a little hint early on when I said that your monastery is in Valerma, California, but that's not necessarily going to be the case in the future, is it? Tell us about that. Yes, Father Tom. uh, The Benedictine monks at St. Andrew's Abbey here in Valerma, California, have very graciously and hospitably uh, hosted us for the past two and a half years while we were looking for a permanent home. And we think we found the perfect permanent home. And in fact, we're in escrow. We're in escrow for a wonderful facility that is closer to where you are, Father Tom, (laughs) uh, in Wisconsin, about uh, three hours north of Chicago, a three-hour drive north of Chicago, in a little village called St. Nazian. Evan Nicholas, tell us, where can people find out about you? The best places to check our webpage and and I will give you the address again the webpage for Holy Resurrection Monastery is hrmonline.org hrm initials for Holy Resurrection Monastery online.org if you check that that'll have all the details of when our move will take place it, it's, it's a wonderful facility and it will be closer to uh to Chicago land. Wonderful. Well, it sounds exciting, and we really appreciate having you on the program, Abbot Nicholas, and we hope to have you on here more and more, especially if you do, in fact, end up closer to us. So once again, thank you, and thank all of you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>